Well, I hope that you've enjoyed our time together in the carols of the Christ. Today we are going to look once more at this theme that arises from the book of Psalms as we think about those songs, those hymns, that point to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. I suppose most of us are familiar with the little statement that says, it's not what you know, but it's what? Whom you know, that's the thing that counts. Yesterday, I think the Vikings must have known somebody in the last two minutes uh, of the game. They had friends in high places somewhere. I'm not quite sure where. Today, we're going to find out that you and I, as those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, have a friend who is in high places. It's not so much what we know, although that's important, but it's the one that we know that really matters. And that is Jesus Christ, who is exalted to the highest place. And as we're going to see this morning, is also welcomed into the holiest place. The study that we have conducted in the Psalms has introduced us to some of the biblical themes concerning Christ. His attribution, that he is God, his identification, his incarnation, and his exaltation. Today we're going to look at his intercession, which reveals his present ministry to us. The holy infant of the manger, the dying Savior of the cross, the risen victor at the tomb, is also the high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Would you open your Bible, please, to Psalm 110, as we begin reading with verse 1 of this highly significant messianic psalm, Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, writes David, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. In, the holy, in holy array, from the womb of the dawn, the youth are to thee as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Notice that David begins by speaking about one who is on the throne. His Lord. Yahweh says to David's Lord, that is his descendant, the Messiah, you sit at my right hand. I will make your enemies a footstool for you. He is the king. But this one who is given the position of royalty is also given the position of priest in this last verse that we've read. I'm going to ask you now to turn to Hebrews chapter 5 as we see the New Testament authentication of this as a messianic theme. Hebrews chapter 5, and I'm going to pick up the reading here in verse 5, where it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a priest, high priest, but he who said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Also, in another passage says, Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, 
he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Verse 10, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It may be difficult for some of us to grasp the significant role of a priest. In our culture, either we have no image to relate to it in a positive way, or perhaps because of our own religious background, we have a negative image of a priest. But it is very important that we learn what a priest is and allow the truth of that to change our lives because Messiah is appointed as the high priest before God for his people. Messiah is appointed as the high priest before God on behalf of his people. What the Lord Jesus Christ is doing right now in heaven is significant to every true follower of his. It is a wonderful thing to have one who represents you before God. And that brings to us the first thing I want to talk about, and that is our Lord's priestly purpose. What is the role of a priest? A priest acts as a mediator, as one who is between God and man. And he does service to God and before God on behalf of those whom he, the priest, represents. Now, God himself established the priesthood under the old covenant of the law given through Moses. The lead priest, or the high priest, and his associates were to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. <clears throat> and they were also to offer other sacrifices and offerings of thanks and praise to God, which, of course, God richly deserved because of the blessings that he poured upon his people in faithfulness to them. Our high priest, after offering himself as the ultimate and final sacrifice to take away sins, rose from the grave to take up his priestly work. You need to notice that, that the one who is our high priest was himself first the sacrifice. He was offered as the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. And having paid the ultimate price for us, he then was raised from the dead by the glory and the power of God to assume his priesthood. By him, we gain access into the presence of God. The story is told of an elderly gentleman who sat outside the White House many years ago. He was obviously very poor. His clothes were threadbare. He was covered with dust. He was crying, and a little boy came by and saw him sitting there and asked him what his problem was. 
The man said that his son had been guilty of a crime in the army. Apparently he had deserted his post and he was to be shot for it. And he had come to ask the president for clemency, that the president might pardon his son, that the guards on the White House lawn would not let the man near the building in order to see the president. <clears throat> the young boy said, well, the president is my father. You come with me. And so he took this older man by the hand and led him into the presence of the president in the White House, Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln heard the man's story and because of the details of what had happened, determined that his son should be pardoned and granted him the clemency. You see, he was able to gain access into the White House because of the actions of the son of the president. You and I have access not to the White House, but to the very throne room of God because of what God's Son has done for us. And his presence in the heavenly sanctuary now is a perpetual reminder of his propitiation. That means his satisfying sacrifice, which he offered on our behalf. It is important when we think about this to realize that God is not angry with us and needs to be reminded that he's been appeased already so he doesn't strike at us. God is not angry at us and Jesus is not there to thwart his anger. God is delighted with us because he sees us, having trusted Christ, as in Christ, identified with Christ. Is Jesus there then because God may forget where we are? No. But Jesus is there perpetually as a visible representation of what the blessed triune God has done in love for our redemption. He is not there because God may get angry at us. He is not there because God is going to forget us. He is simply there as a visible representation of the amazing grace and love of God demonstrated in his death. That is the purpose of our priest. To give us access into the presence of God and to represent us before God. Now I'd like for us to think a moment about his prerequisites as a priest. Because Jesus perfectly meets all of the qualifications to be named as a high priest in the likeness or after the order of Melchizedek. You say, Melchizedek? Well, if you've read your Bible, as most of you have, you know who Melchizedek is. He is a mysterious figure that is mentioned just a few times in the Bible. We, we see him mentioned in Genesis chapter 14 historically. We see him mentioned in Psalm 110 and then again in the book of Hebrews. Turn with me in Hebrews to chapter 7, verse 1 where the writer of Hebrews reminds us of just the scant details regarding Melchizedek. He says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, blessed Abraham. You remember the story of how Abraham's nephew Lot 
got caught up in a skirmish there in the Valley of Salt in the Dead Sea area, as we know it today, and as a result was taken away as a prisoner, and so Abram and his men went after those who had taken him prisoner and defeated them and took their spoils. And as they were coming back to the land of Canaan, this one Melchizedek came out of the city of Salem, which we know today as Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem as it was in those days, in Abraham's day. And he met Abram and blessed him. And Abram gave to him a tithe, a 10% of, of all that he had gained in this battle. Now it tells us here that this Melchizedek was the king of Salem, but he was also the priest of the Most High God. He had a dual role. He was a king priest. That is very significant to remember. To say, where did he get his priesthood? We don't really know the answer to that. He knew the true God. Now remember, this is in a day of, of tremendous apostasy in the world. God had reached down in the midst of Ur and the Chaldees and had called out an idolater by the name of Abram <clears throat> to follow him. And Abram had, had done that in obedience and in faith to God and left his kindred and followed the Lord. But at the very same time, God was working in this city of Salem and this man Melchizedek knew him and was appointed by God as a priest unto the Lord. Now, there are some wonderful parallels between this Melchizedek, historically, and Jesus Christ, who is said now to be the high priest after the order or the likeness of Melchizedek. The first one is his commission. Melchizedek was appointed by God. Exactly when, we don't know. <clears throat> but the Lord Jesus Christ, likewise, has been appointed by God with an oath, as we have read in both Hebrews and Psalm 110. God, with an oath, he swore that Messiah would be a priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. And so he received his commission from God, just as did this Melchizedek of old. Secondly, there is the parallel of the character of the two. King of Salem means king of shalom. What does shalom mean? Peace. Not peace just merely in the absence of warfare, but the peace that means abundance and prosperity because of the absence of conflict. And so Melchizedek is called the king of peace, and he is also the king of righteousness. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness, ultimately. The one who, in whom there is no sin. And he is the king of peace, the prince of peace, as Isaiah called him. And so in character, there is a parallel between Melchizedek of old and Christ. But then there's a third and very significant parallel, and that is in the continuance of the priesthood. In order to be in the order of Melchizedek, you have to have an unending priesthood. That was never possible with Aaron and his descendants. <clears throat> they had a problem. They died. 
whether good or, or a bad high priest, they died. And so their priesthood ended. You say, well, didn't Melchizedek die? Well, yes, of course he had to have died. But what is pointed out in Scripture is that there's no record of that. There's no record of his birth and where he came from. There's no record of his ending his priesthood. And so in that sense, says the writer of Hebrews, Jesus has, is in the order of Melchizedek. His priesthood is unending. He had no beginning. Jesus didn't. The eternal son. He has no ending. He has been raised from the dead. And by the power of an indestructible life, that is, an immortal life, he is forever a priest. And so his continuous priesthood is another parallel between <coughs> Melchizedek and Christ. Jesus is like Melchizedek in these three important ways and meets all of the qualifications that we have in Scripture for this priesthood. Jesus could not be a priest after the order of Aaron because Jesus was not of the right tribe. He was not a Levite. He was of the tribe of Judah. The scripture says nothing about a priest under the old covenant from another tribe than Levi. But the scripture does not put any sort of qualification in tribe around the one who would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He simply receives his appointment from God, as did the Lord Jesus. And so he meets the prerequisites of being a high priest in this special order of priesthood. Now, when this priesthood was established by Jesus, the order of Melchizedek, the old priesthood of Aaron and the tribe of Levi and all of the sacrifices that went with it were set aside. They became obsolete, no longer needed, because a greater priesthood based upon a greater covenant with better promises has now been established through Jesus. And so we think about our high priest and we think about his purpose as our mediator, the one who intercedes between us and God. We, we think of his prerequisites, but thirdly, I'd like for us to think about his petitions. All of his work, past, present, and future, is aimed toward the destiny of his chosen people. His work is geared toward our destiny. And in John chapter 17, we have some insight as to how our high priest prays on our behalf. John 17, as you know, is the true Lord's prayer. It is the prayer that he prayed before his crucifixion, and yet as though that were already passed, and as though he were again ready to enter into the presence of the Father. Now, let's turn to John chapter 17, and notice what Jesus prays for. <clears throat> we're going to find three petitions, especially, that I want to point out this morning to deal with the destiny of the people that God has given to him. Notice in verse 9, he says, I ask on their behalf, who? The ones the Father had given him. I do not ask, he says, on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, 
Now, let your eyes fall down to verse 20, where he says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So Jesus makes it clear that he's praying not only for that generation, but for every succeeding generation, right down to our very day. These petitions are valid. Now, what are the petitions that he asks? In verse 11, we see the first one I want to point to. He says in the middle of the verse, Holy Father, keep them in thy name. Petition number one, Father, keep them. The word keep means to guard. Guard them from loss. Father, hold them fast. Father, watch over and preserve them. That's how Jesus is praying. Someone asks me the question, do you believe in eternal security? How can one not believe in eternal security when the Son of God himself has prayed that we'll be kept? The prayer that Jesus prays keeps us. And of course, there are many other reasons for believing in it, but this is just one, and a significant one. He prays in verse 15, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil. Now, whether you understand that as evil personified, as in the evil one, Satan, which would be true enough, or in the sense of the influence and the malignant attack of evil in the world against the believer is still the same thought. Father, preserve them from the evil, the evil that is at work in the world. We have a, a high priest who prays for us to be kept. It's wonderful to know that at various stations in life. It's wonderful to know, for example, when you have uh, reared your children to the best of, of your strength and knowledge and wisdom by God's grace, and you ship them off to college. Or a child gets married and they leave your home and they're gone from under influence. And you say, well, will he or will she remain faithful to God? Well, the fact is that, that all of us have ups and downs, don't we? But you know why we don't have to be afraid for our children who have professed faith in Jesus Christ? It's because the Son of God has prayed for them too, that the Father would keep them. And he will. What wonderful security we have. A little girl was asked one time if Satan ever tempted her to do wrong. She said, oh yes, the devil does try to get to me. He knocks at the door of my heart. But I just say, Jesus, please go to the door for me. <laughs> and he will. He will keep us from the evil that is at work, the malignant evil that is in the world. There's a second petition that we see in verse 17. He says, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
petition number two, Father, sanctify them. To be sanctified means to be set apart for God's special purpose and use. And I believe in the context of, of John, in John chapter 17, he is really saying this, Father, sanctify them, set them apart for your use in the world. Father, as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And so, Father, I pray that you will set them apart for that special purpose, that they might represent us in the world and proclaim the gospel. You and I don't have to be afraid in our witnessing, although that's a normal tendency on the part of any of us. Our Lord is with us. And he has prayed for us that God would set us apart and equip us and make us sufficient for the work that God calls us to do as his ambassadors and his witnesses. Robert Murray McShane once remarked, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference because he is praying for me. Remember that this week and into the new year as you set goals perhaps and people you want to talk with and witness to. The Lord Jesus is praying for you. Sanctify them in the truth. That is the word. The truth about God. Sanctify them in this. He tells us the result will be oneness and then witness to the world in verses 20 and 21. So the second petition is, Father, sanctify them, set them apart for your special purpose. And third, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Petition number three, Father, bring them. Father, bring them home to me so that they may behold the glory that you have given me. Let them see the love that you had for me before the foundation of the world. Father, bring them. The Lord Jesus is praying that for you and me. And someday, it's going to happen. Now, we like to think that it's going to happen in the rapture. And I really think it will for our generation. But, I also know this, that there have been people who are now dead who have thought the same thing. None of us look forward to the experience of dying if we're in our right mind. That thought of not being able to get our breath or being in pain or the, the crush of an accident or however death might come to us, is not something we, we dwell on. It is hard for us to imagine our own mortality. But if the Lord Jesus doesn't come, and we are taken in death, let us remember that though we do not look forward to the experience of dying. We don't have to be afraid of the results of it. Because Jesus has already prayed, Father, 
bring them to me. And so when that moment comes, whether in death or in the rapture, the prayer of Jesus must be answered. And we will leave our circumstances at the moment, whatever they be, a hospital bed or driving down the road or sitting behind a desk or working in the yard or shoveling snow, we will leave behind our circumstances of the moment and be ushered into glory. And we will be able to know things and see things in that moment that now our minds cannot possibly begin to imagine. Because our high priest has prayed, Father, bring them. And the result of that is that we will behold his glory. I'd like for you to turn back to Hebrews as we close and look in the second chapter. As you know, the book of Hebrews is a book that's all about the priesthood. That, that is the central theme of this book. And so we've only just touched it. Uh, and I hope it's a book that you have read and meditated upon as you get to know Jesus. But in chapter 2, I want us to look finally at verse 17 where it says, Therefore, he, our Savior, our, the author of our salvation, our great high priest, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Our high priest is here characterized with two adjectives, merciful and faithful. He is merciful in the sense that he is actively compassionate. Jesus is not indifferent to your circumstances and to your life, to what you're passing through now. He is not ignorant about it. He is actively, compassionately, mercifully involved. And he is also described here as faithful. That is, he will never fail you. We may boldly say, the Lord is my, what? Helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is faithful. He is our helper. He comes to our aid. In fact, in chapter 4, he says, Let us therefore draw near the throne with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He comes to our aid in our test so that God's will will surely be realized. God's purpose in our lives will be realized. Now, here's the amazing thing to me. We've talked about the priesthood of Jesus. But it's this, that we too are called royal priests. Jesus is a royal priest, a royal high priest. We who are saved by his grace are called a royal priesthood. Remember 1 Peter 2, verse 9? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are part of royalty, the family of the king, 
At the same time, we serve as priests. Now, how should that affect our lives in 1998? That's my closing question. How should it affect your life and mine that we are a royal priesthood? Well, it ought to cause us to reevaluate our prayer lives at the very minimum. It ought to help us see how significant it is that God has given us the privilege of praying in the name of Jesus. As you face the new year, let me just throw a couple of things out for your thought and, and prayer, and I hope decision. Number one, if your prayer life is in a bit of disarray, get it reorganized. Now, that sounds mechanical, and I don't mean for it to be that, because a prayer life has to be a relationship. But at the same time, there has to be some basic pattern or organization to it. And so, determine between now and the start of the new year that you're going to look at your life and get your prayer life prioritized. And get things in order so that you are serving the Lord as a royal priest in the new year. That's pretty simple to do. The second one requires a little more legwork and may push you a little more out of your comfort zone that it will be wonderfully effective and it can even help fulfill the prayer of Jesus in John 17 about sanctify them and sending us into the world with God's gospel. How about going to your neighbors, maybe the ones on either side of you or to the, to the neighbors in your block, even those you don't know, which is probably a lot of them, if you're like our neighbors, Knock on the door and say, hi, I'm Joe from down the street here, and I don't know you, but uh, I would like to know if there's anything I can pray for you about. Do you have some need in your life? Some, is there something that you would like for me to remember before God? I'd like to pray for you. And you don't have to hand them a Jesus video, though you can do that. You don't have to hand them a four spiritual laws at that point. That's wonderful if you want to. But just in a very non-threatening way, take that step of saying, I want to pray for you and just see what God may do in your neighborhood. See what happens in that relationship between your neighbor and yourself if your neighbor knows that you are remembering to pray for him. It will absolutely change and transform the dynamic of your neighborhood. It will open doors of opportunities for you to minister in deeper ways, witnessing to them, like you can't imagine, just by being a royal priest and praying for others. As we get into the new year, as we think about what it holds for us in the providence of God, let's determine that because Jesus has made us a part of this priesthood that he holds, that we will function as royal priests in service to the Lord. Let's pray together. I just wonder if uh, you would be willing to respond 
and say, Pastor, I, I am going to take some steps in my prayer life. Now, you may, you don't have the opportunity now to identify what that might be. But will you, by, by the uplifted hand, say, Pastor, I see my role as a royal priest. And I want to fulfill that role. And God helping me, I'm going to enter the new year in a particular way and function as a royal priest. Will you just put your hand? It may be a new commitment or a reaffirmation of commitment. Thank you. Just keep them up for a moment, if you would. I'm blessed by that. Thank you very much. How many of you can say, Pastor, right now I am functioning that way. That is that's something that's ongoing in my life. Would you just lift your hand? Okay, God bless you. Amen. Now, for those in between, what about you? If you're not functioning that way now, and you can't decide to be a high priest, uh, be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, after our great high priest, what are you going to do? What is the Spirit of God saying to you? Are you part of the priesthood? Are you a royal priest? Think about it. Think about it. Think about what God wants you to do. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of as Jesus has shared this role for us to function in. And so I pray that you will help us to be excited about who we are and what we're called to become and to use the power of prayer interceding for others saved and lost alike that you might unleash your power, your presence in their lives as well as in ours like we've never seen before. May that be the blessed result because we have studied this morning about our great high priest. And it's in his name that I offer these words.